This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story about a little girl lost in a strange place. A story that many of us know already and lies firmly in our hearts. A story about magic and wonder and confusion and beauty. I am proud to present part one of Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, as published in 1916. As always, please like, rate, or subscribe to Tales by the Fireside. Every interaction truly does mean the world to this channel. Now please, get comfortable, let go of the daylight, and join me for our story. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll Chapter 1 Down the Rabbit Hole Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book thought Alice, without pictures or conversations. So she was considering in her own mind, as well she could, for the day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, 
nor did Alice think it so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet, for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it. And, burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it and was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after it. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way and then dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time, as she went down, to look about her. First, she tried to make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then, she looked at the sides of the well, and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there, she saw maps and pictures hung upon pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed. It was labelled Orange Marmalade, but to her great disappointment it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar, so managed to put it onto one of the cupboards as she fell past it. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? There was nothing else to do. So Alice soon began talking to herself. Dinah'll miss me very much tonight, I should think. Dinah was the cat. I hope they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dinah, my dear, I wish you were down here with me. Alice felt that she was dozing off, when suddenly, thump, thump, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves, and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt, and she jumped up in a moment. She looked up, but it was all dark overhead. Before her was another long passage and the white rabbit was still in sight, hurrying down it. There was not a moment to be lost. Away went Alice like the wind, and she was just in time to hear it say as it turned a corner, Oh, my ears and whiskers, how late it's getting! She was close behind it when she turned the corner, but the rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, low hall, which was lit up by a row of lamps hanging from the roof. There were doors all round the hall, but they were all locked. And when Alice had been all the way down one side and up the other, trying every door, she walked sadly down the middle, wondering how she was ever to get out again. Suddenly, she came upon a little table, all made of solid glass. There was nothing on it but a tiny golden key, and Alice's first idea was that this might belong to one of the doors of the hall. But alas, either the locks were too large or the key was too small, but at any rate it would not open any of them. However, on the second time round, she came upon a low curtain she had not noticed before, and behind it was a little door about fifteen inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock, and to her great delight, it fitted. Alice opened the door, 
and found that it led into a small passage, not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of that dark hall and wander about among those beds of bright flowers and those cool fountains. But she could not even get her head through the doorway. Ah, oh, said Alice, how I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could, if I only knew how to begin. Alice went back to the table, half hoping she might find another key on it, or at any rate, a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time she found a little bottle on it, which certainly was not here before, said Alice, and tied round the neck of the bottle was a paper label, with the words, Drink Me, beautifully printed on it in large letters. No, I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not. For she had never forgotten that, if you drink from a bottle marked poison, it is almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison, so Alice ventured to taste it, and, finding it very nice, it had a sort of mixed flavour of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee and hot buttered toast. She very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling, said Alice. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And so it was indeed. She was now only ten inches high, and her face brightened up at the thought that she was now the right size for going through the little door into that lovely garden. After a while, finding that nothing more happened, she decided on going on into the garden at once. But alas for poor Alice... When she got to the door, she found she had forgotten the little golden key, and when she went back to the table for it, she found she could not possibly reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass, and she tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery, and when she had tired herself out with trying, the poor little thing sat down and cried. Come, there's no use in crying like that, said Alice to herself rather sharply. I advise you to leave off this minute. She generally gave herself very good advice, though she very seldom followed it, and sometimes she scolded herself so severely as to bring tears into her eyes. Soon her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake, on which the words, Eat me, were beautifully marked in currants. Well, I'll eat it, said Alice, and if it makes me grow larger, I can reach the key. And if it makes me grow smaller, I can creep under the door. So either way, I'll get into the garden, and I don't care which happens. She ate a little bit, and said anxiously to herself, Which way, which way? Holding her hand on top of her head to feel which way she was growing, and she was quite surprised to find that she remained the same size. So she set to work, and very soon finished off the cake. Chapter 2 The Pool of Tears Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. She was so much surprised that, for the moment, she quite forgot how to speak good English. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Goodbye, feet. Oh, my poor little feet, 
I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now, dears. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. Just at this moment, her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, in fact, she was now rather more than nine feet high, and she at once took up the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice! It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side, to look through into the garden with one eye, but to get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. She went on shedding gallons of tears until there was a large pool all round her and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. It was the white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself, Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess! Oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? When the rabbit came near her, Alice began, in a low, timid voice, If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the white kid gloves and the fan, and scurried away into the darkness as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday things went on just as usual. Was I the same when I got up this morning? But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. As she said this, she looked down at her hands and was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves while she was talking. How could I have done that? she thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself by it and found that she was now about two feet high and was going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding and she dropped it hastily, just in time to save herself from shrinking away altogether. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden. And she ran with all speed back to the little door. But alas, the little door was shut again and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. Things are worse than ever, thought the poor child, for I never was so small as this before, never. As she said these words, her foot slipped and in another moment, splash, she was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea was that she had somehow fallen into the sea. However, she soon made out that she was in the pool of tears which she had wept when she was nine feet high. Just then, she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to see what it was. She soon made out that it was only a mouse that had slipped in like herself. Would it be of any use, now, thought Alice, to speak to this mouse? Everything is so out of the way down here that I should think very likely it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began. Oh, mouse, do you know the way out of this pool? I am very tired of swimming about here. Oh, mouse. The mouse looked at her rather inquisitively and seemed to her to wink with one of its little eyes. But it said nothing. 
Perhaps it doesn't understand English, thought Alice. I dare say it's a French mouse come over with William the Conqueror. So she began again. Où est ma chatte? Which was the first sentence in her French lesson book. The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water and seemed to quiver all over with fright. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice hastily, afraid that she had hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot you didn't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice in a soothing tone. Don't be angry about it. And yet I wish I could show you our cat, Dinah. I think you'd take a fancy to cats if you could only see her. She is such a dear, quiet thing. The mouse was bristling all over, and she felt certain that it really must be offended. We won't talk about her any more, if you'd rather not. Well, indeed, cried the mouse, who was now trembling down to the end of its tail. As if I would talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats. Nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed, said Alice, in a great hurry to change the subject of conversation. Are you... are you fond of... of, of dogs? There is such a nice little dog near our house. I should like to show you. It kills all the rats and... oh dear, cried Alice in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again. For the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it could go, and making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. So she called softly after it. Mouse, dear, do come back again, and we won't talk about cats or dogs either, if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned round and swam slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale, and it said in a low, trembling voice, Let us get to the shore, and then I'll tell you my history, and you'll understand why it is I hate cats and dogs. It was high time to go for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There were a duck and a dodo, a lorry and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to shore. Chapter 3 A Caucus Race and a Long Tail They were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank. The birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet, cross and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was how to get dry again. They had a consultation about this, and after a few minutes, it seemed quite natural to Alice to find herself talking familiarly with them as if she had known them all her life. At last the mouse who seemed to be a person of some authority among them, called out, Sit down, all of you, and listen to me. I'll soon make you dry enough. They all sat down at once in a large ring, with the mouse in the middle. Ahem, said the mouse, with an important air. Are you all ready? This is the driest thing I know. Silence all round, if you please. William the Conqueror, whose cause was favoured by the Pope, was soon submitted to by the English, who wanted leaders, and had been of late much accustomed to usurpation and conquest. Edwin and Morcar, the Earls of Mercia and Northumbria, 
Ugh, said the lorry with a shiver. And even Stigand, the patriotic Archbishop of Canterbury, found it advisable. Found what? said the duck. Found it, the mouse replied rather crossly. And of course, you know what it means. I know what it means well enough when I find a thing, said the duck. It's generally a frog or a worm. The question is, what did the Archbishop find? The mouse did not notice this question, but hurriedly went on. He found it advisable to go with Edgar Aisling to meet William and offer him the crown. How are you getting on now, my dear? It continued, turning to Alice as it spoke. As wet as ever, said Alice in a melancholy tone. It doesn't seem to dry me at all. In that case, said the dodo solemnly, rising to its feet, I move that the meeting adjourn for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know the meaning of half those long words, and what's more, I don't believe you do either. What I was going to say, said the dodo in an offended tone, is that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. What is a caucus race? said Alice. Why, said the dodo, the best way to explain it is to do it. First it marked out a race course in a sort of circle, and then all the party were placed along the course here and there. There was no one, two, three and away, but they began running when they liked and left off when they liked, so that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had all been running for half an hour or so and were quite dry again, the dodo suddenly called out, The race is over! And they all crowded round it, panting and asking, But who has won? The question the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought. At last it said, Everybody has won, and all must have prizes. But who is to give the prizes? Quite a chorus of voices asked. Why, she is, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger. And the whole party at once crowded round her, calling out in a confused way, Prizes! Prizes! Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair she put her hand into her pocket and pulled out a box of comfits. Luckily, the salt water had not gotten into it, and handed them round as prizes. There was exactly one apiece, all round. The next thing was to eat the comfits. This caused some noise and some confusion, as the large birds complained that they could not taste theirs, and the small ones choked and had to be patted on the back. However, it was over at last, and they sat down again in a ring and begged the mouse to tell them something more. You promised to tell me your history, you know, said Alice, and why is it you hate C and D? she added in a whisper, half afraid that he would be offended again. Man is a long and sad tale, said the mouse, turning to Alice and sighing. It is a long tale, certainly, said Alice, looking down with wonder at the mouse's tail. But why do you call it sad? And she kept on puzzling about this while the mouse was speaking, so that her idea of the tale was something like this. Fleury said to a mouse that he met in the house, Let us both go to law. I will prosecute you. Come, I'll take no denial. We must have the trial, for really this morning I've nothing to do, said the mouse to the cur. Such a trial, dear sir, 
with no jury or judge would be wasting our breath. I'll be judge, I'll be jury, said cunning old Fury. I'll try the whole cause and condemn you to death. You're not attending, said the mouse to Alice severely. What are you thinking of? I beg your pardon, said Alice very humbly. You got to the fifth bend, I think. You insult me by talking such nonsense, said the mouse, getting up and walking away. Please come back and finish your story, Alice called after it, and the, all the others joined in in chorus. Yes, please do. But the mouse only shook its head impatiently and walked a little quicker. I wish I had Dinah, our cat, here, said Alice. This caused a remarkable sensation among the party. Some of the birds hurried off at once, and a canary called out in a trembling voice to its children, Come away, my dears, it's high time you are all in bed. On various pretexts, they all moved off, and Alice was soon left alone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dinah. Nobody seems to like her down here, and I'm sure she's the best cat in the world. Poor Alice began to cry again, but she felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however, she again heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance, and she looked up eagerly. Chapter 4 The Rabbit Sends In a Little Bill It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again and looking anxiously about as it went, as if it had lost something. Alice heard it muttering to itself, The Duchess, the Duchess! Oh, my dear paws! Oh, my fur and whiskers! She'll get me executed, as sure as ferrets are ferrets! Where can I have dropped them, I wonder? Alice guessed in a moment that it was looking for the fan and the pair of white kid gloves, and she very good-naturedly began hunting about for them, but they were nowhere to be seen and everything seemed to have changed since her swim in the pool, and the great hall with the glass table and the little door had vanished completely. Very soon, the rabbit noticed Alice and called to her in an angry voice, Why, Mary Ann, what are you doing out here? Run home this moment and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fan. Quick now! He took me for his housemaid, said Alice as she ran off. How surprised he'll be when he finds out who I am. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house, on the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W. Rabbit engraved upon it. She went in without knocking and hurried upstairs, in great fear lest she should meet the real Mary Ann and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. By this time, Alice had found her way into a tidy little room with a table in the window, and on it a fan and two or three pairs of tiny white kid gloves. She took up the fan and a pair of the gloves and was just going to leave the room when her eyes fell upon a little bottle that stood near the looking glass. She uncocked it and put it to her lips, saying to herself, I do hope it'll make me grow large again, for really I'm quite tired of being such a tiny little thing. Before she had drunk half the bottle, she found her head pressing against the ceiling, and had to stoop to save her neck from being broken. She hastily put down the bottle, remarking, That's quite enough. I hope I shan't grow any more. Alas, it was too late to wish that. She went on growing and growing, and very soon she had to kneel down on the floor. Still, she went on growing, and, 
as a last resource, she put one arm out of the window and one foot up the chimney and said to herself, Now I can do no more, whatever happens. What will become of me? Luckily for Alice, the little magic bottle had now had its full effect and she grew no larger. After a few minutes, she heard a voice outside and stopped to listen. Mary Anne, Mary Anne, said the voice, fetch me my gloves this moment. Then came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Alice knew it was the rabbit coming to look for her, and she trembled till she shook the house, quite forgetting that she was now about a thousand times as large as the rabbit and had no reason to be afraid of it. Presently, the rabbit came up to the door and tried to open it. But as the door opened inwards and Alice's elbow was pressed hard against it, that attempt proved a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, Then I'll go round and get in at the window. That you won't, thought Alice, and after waiting till she fancied she heard the rabbit just under the window, she suddenly spread out her hand and made a snatch in the air. She did not get hold of anything, but she heard a little shriek and a fall and a crash of broken glass, from which she concluded that it was just possible it had fallen into a cucumber frame or something of that sort. Next came an angry voice, the rabbit's, Pat, Pat, where are you? And then a voice she had never heard before. Sure then, I'm here, digging for apples, your honour. Here, come and help me out of this. Now tell me, Pat, what's that in the window? Sure, it's an arm, your honour. Well, it's got no business there at any rate. Go and take it away. There was a long silence after this, and Alice could only hear whispers now and then. And at last, she spread out her hand again and made another snatch in the air. This time, there were two little shrieks and more sounds of broken glass. I wonder what they'll do next, thought Alice. As for pulling me out of the window, I only wish they could. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. At last came a rumbling of little cartwheels and the sound of a good many voices all talking together. She made out the words, Where's the other ladder? Bill's got the other. Bill, here, Bill. Will the roof bear? Who's to go down the chimney? Nay, I shan't. You do it. Here, Bill. The master says you've got to go down that chimney. Alice drew her foot as far down the chimney as she could and waited till she heard a little animal scratching and scrambling about in the chimney close above her. Then she gave one sharp kick and waited to see what would happen next. The first thing she heard was a general chorus of, There goes Bill! Then, the rabbit's voice alone, Catch him, you! By the hedge! Then silence, and then another confusion of voices. Hold up his head. Brandy now. Don't choke him. What happened to you? Last came a feeble, squeaking voice. Well, I hardly know. No more, thank you. I'm better now. All I know is, something comes at me like a jack-in-the-box, and I goes up like a skyrocket. After a minute or two of silence, they began moving about again, and Alice heard the rabbit say, A barrow fool will do, to begin with. Barrow full of what? thought Alice. But she had not long to doubt, for the next moment a shower of little pebbles came rattling in at the window, and some of them hit her in the face. Alice noticed with some surprise 
that the pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor and a bright idea came into her head. If I eat one of those cakes, she thought, it's sure to make some change in my size. So she swallowed one of the cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrinking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as hard as she could and soon found herself safe in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow to my right size again. And the second thing is to find my way into that lovely garden. I suppose I ought to eat or drink something or other, but the great question is, what? Alice looked all around her at the flowers and the blades of grass. She could not see anything that looked like the right thing to eat or drink under the circumstances. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself. She stretched herself up on tiptoe and peeped over the edge, and her eyes immediately met those of a large blue caterpillar that was sitting on the top, with his arms folded, quietly smoking a long hooker and not taking the smallest notice of her or anything else. Chapter 5 Advice from a Caterpillar At last, the caterpillar took the hooker out of its mouth and addressed Alice in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? said the caterpillar. Alice replied rather shyly, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. What do you mean by that? said the caterpillar sternly. Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I'm not myself. You see... Being so many different sizes in a day is very confusing. She drew herself up and said very gravely, I think you ought to tell me who you are first. Why? said the caterpillar. As Alice could not think of any good reason, and the caterpillar seemed to be in a very unpleasant state of mind, she turned away. Come back, the caterpillar called after her. I've something important to say. Alice turned and came back again. Keep your temper, said the caterpillar. Is that all, said Alice, swallowing down her anger as well she could? No, said the caterpillar. It unfolded its arms, took the hooker out of its mouth again and said, So you think you're changed, do you? I'm afraid I am, sir, said Alice. I can't remember things as I used, and I don't keep the same size for ten minutes together. What size do you want to be? asked the caterpillar. Oh, I'm not particular as to size, Alice hastily replied. Only one doesn't like changing so often, you know. I should like to be a little larger, sir, if you wouldn't mind, said Alice. Three inches is such a wretched height to be. It is a very good height indeed, said the caterpillar angrily, re rearing itself upright as it spoke. 
It was exactly three inches high. In a minute or two, the caterpillar got down off the mushroom and crawled away into the grass, merely remarking as it went, One side will make you grow taller, and the other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? thought Alice to herself. Of the mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as if she'd asked it out loud. And in another moment, it was out of sight. Alice remained looking thoughtfully at the mushroom for a minute, trying to make out which were the two sides of it. At last, she stretched her arms round it as far as they could go and broke off a bit of the edge with each hand. And now which is which, she said to herself, and nibbled a little of the right-hand bit to try the effect. The next moment she felt a violent blow underneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She was a good deal frightened by this very sudden change, as she was shrinking rapidly. So she set to work at once to eat some of the other bit. Her chin was pressed so closely against her foot, there were hardly room to open her mouth, but she did it at last and managed to swallow a morsel from the left-hand bit. Come, my head's free at last, said Alice. But all she could see when she looked down was an immense length of neck, which seemed to rise like a stalk out of sea of green leaves that lay far below her. Where have my shoulders got to? Oh, and my poor hands, how is it I can't see you? She was delighted to find that her neck would bend about as easily in any direction like a serpent. She had just succeeded in curving it down into a graceful zigzag and was going to dive in among the leaves when a sharp hiss made her draw back in a hurry. A large pigeon had flown into her face and was beating her violently with its wings. Serpent, cried the pigeon. I'm not a serpent, said Alice indignantly. Leave me alone. I've tried the roots of trees, I've tried banks, I've tried hedges, the pigeon went on, but those serpents, there's no pleasing them. Alice was more and more puzzled. As if it wasn't trouble enough hatching the eggs, said the pigeon, but I must be on the lookout for serpents night and day, and just as I'd taken the highest tree in the wood, continued the pigeon, raising its voice to a shriek, and just as I was thinking I should be free of them at last, they must needs come wriggling down from the sky. A serpent! But I'm not a serpent, I tell you, said Alice. I'm a little girl added rather doubtfully as she remembered the number of changes she had gone through throughout the day. "'You're looking for eggs. I know that well enough,' said the pigeon. "'And what does it matter to me whether you're a little girl or a serpent?' "'It matters a good deal to me,' said Alice hastily. "'But I'm not looking for eggs as it happens. "'And if I was, I shouldn't want yours. I don't like them raw.' "'Well, be off then,' said the pigeon in a sulky tone as it settled down again into its nest." Alice crouched down among the trees as well as she could, but her neck kept getting entangled among the branches. And every now and then, she had to stop and untwist it. After a while, she remembered that she still held the pieces of mushroom in her hands, and she set to work very carefully nibbling first at one and then at the other, and growing sometimes taller and sometimes shorter, until she had succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. It was so long since she had been anything near the right size that it felt quite strange at first. The next thing is to get into that beautiful garden. How is that to be done, I wonder? And as she said this, she came suddenly upon an open place 
with a little house in it about four feet high. Whoever lives there, thought Alice, it'll never do to come upon them this size. Why, I should frighten them out of their wits. She did not venture to go near the house, till she had brought herself down to nine inches high. The end of part one. Good night. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.